Please take your Bibles now and turn with me in those Bibles to, excuse me, the Gospel of John. We are in John chapter 18, and we will read verses 33 through 38. Uh, Jesus has gone through his Last Supper with his disciples. He has gone through the Garden of Gethsemane, his trial before the Sanhedrin, and he now stands before Pilate, the governor of the area. And in his interview with Pilate, we come to this point in John 18, beginning in verse 33. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied, It was your people and your chief priest who handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Pilate asked. Let us pray. God and Father, we do ask that you would open our eyes and our ears today so that we might see your glory, so that we might see your truth, and so that our lives might be changed. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What is truth? It's the question Pilate asked Jesus after Jesus had gone through his trial before him and had, de- and had declared to Pilate that yes, he was a king of a kingdom that is not of this earth. And the reason that he came to this earth was to proclaim the truth of that kingdom and to witness to the truth of that kingdom. And then Pilate asks him, what is truth? It's a question that was wrestled with 2,000 years ago, and it's a question that is wrestled with in our culture today. What is truth? Prior to the time of the Enlightenment, truth was seen to be something that was defined by a being that was transcendent. God had created all things. God had ordered all things. And so God was the one who defined and declared what truth is. During the Enlightenment, the the thought of the time was that, yes, there are objective truths. Yes, there is truth with a capital T, but it's not revealed to us by some transcendent being. It's revealed to us by the power of our own intellect and our own ability to reason. Moving into the 20th century, this Enlightenment thought was grasped and held on to, and then a realization was made. If truth that is, is something that is found and defined by our own human intellect, our own human reason, well, there are 8 billion different intellects, 8 billion different reasoning beings upon this earth. And so why is truth objective? Truth with 8 billion different people, people seeking to reason and rationalize to come to objective truths are going to have the potential for 8 
billion different definitions of what is true. The culture in which you and I live, this European-American culture, tries, and I do emphasize tries, tries to define truth according to how the individual feels or desires. And this is in all realms, not just any, in any one specific realm. And so as a culture, I would say that a valid question for you and I today is what is truth? But do not despair. We do have an answer to the question, what is truth? And we will seek to begin to answer that question today as you and I study the truthfulness of God. Today, you and I will learn that God is truth. We'll see that God is truth in his being and who he is. We will see that God is truth and how he reveals himself in his word and his promises. And we will see that God is truth as he works in this world. And, it is, and as it is revealed to us that God is truth, we will see that there are obligations placed upon God's people in light of the fact that God is truth. God is truth. Now, many of us are familiar with Jesus saying just a few chapters earlier in the Gospel of John, as Thomas asked him, Jesus, you say you're going to the Father and you say that we're going to follow you, but we don't know how to get there. We don't know how to get to the Father. And, and Jesus says in verse 6 of chapter 14, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way to the Father. Jesus is the only revelation of the truth of the Father. Jesus is the only life, the way to life that we get through the Father. And so we're reminded that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, is described as truth. But it is not merely Jesus who is described as truth, but the Father is described as truth as well. In Isaiah chapter 65, verse 16, we hear these words. Whoever invokes a blessing in the land will do so by the God of truth. He who takes an oath in the land will swear by the God of truth. For the past troubles will be forgotten and hidden from my eyes. And then earlier in John, in John chapter 15, we see these words as well as John is talking about leaving the disciples to ascend into the Father and talking that he will not leave them alone. He is going to send a counselor to them. He says in John 15, 26, when the counselor comes who I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. So the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is described throughout the scriptures as truth. So when we ask the question, what is truth? The, the most basic answer that should flow off the out of the mouths of the children of God is that God is truth. Now, what does this mean? Well, first, it means that God is true in who he is. He is true in his being. Truth is an attribute of God. God is truth. It's, truth is not something that exists above God, transcendent over God, ruling God and keeping him in line with whatever truth is. No, God is truth. He is truth in his very being. The words he speaks, everything he does, who he is, is truth. 
We have been talking about and will continue to talk about for a few weeks the attributes of God. We talked about the fact that God is holy. Well, God is truly holy. God is just. He is truly just. He is truly omnipotent. We can use the adjective true to describe absolutely everything about God. His truth in his being means that he is self-consistent. These attributes that we are studying in, in, uh, as single parts of God are actually all wrapped up in God. And they do not contradict each other. He cannot use his omnipotent power to contradict his love. He cannot use his holiness and his justice to contradict his grace. The fact that God is true means that he is self-consistent. He is stable. As we, as we learned last week, he does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as J.I. Packer says, God is entirely self-consistent, sincere, realistic, and undeceived. So to say that God is truth is wrapped up in those, all th- in those things. To say that he's true in who he is is also to say what we read in Isaiah from earlier. He is the one true God. He is the one true God among a pantheon of false gods. Whether it's the idols of the Old and New Testament, whether it's the idols of pagan cultures, or whether it's the modern idols in our secular culture of autonomy, I am my own boss, I am chief of myself, or the idol of, well, what I feel to be true is true. God is the only true God in a world of false gods. Next, God is also true. To say that God is truth means that he is true in how he reveals himself in his revelation. How does God reveal himself? He reveals himself in his words and in his promises. Thinking back to God's omniscience, the attribute that speaks to God's perfect and infinite knowledge of all things that are, that have been, that will be, and even that could have been. For God to perfectly know all things about himself and about creation means that as he speaks about himself and about his creation, he is representing himself and his creation accurately or truly. In John 17, Jesus is praying for his people. As part of that prayer, Jesus says that God will sanctify his people according to his truth. And then he qualifies that by saying, your word, God's word, is truth. And so as God reveals himself, reveals himself in his world, reveals himself through his image in humanity. However, or whatever God reveals through the words he spoke or inspired through the prophets and apostles, these words are true and can be relied upon because they came from the God who is truth. There's been a lot of discussion over the last 30 or 40 years about what it means to be contemporary or relevant within our culture It's centered around how and when we have worship. It's centered around the music and the instruments that we use and the the songs that we sing in worship, trying to be relevant to the culture around us. A true word from a true God is always relevant as it speaks into the lives of the people 
of our world and the people of the church. Yes, there are things that we need to be aware of as we speak into our culture. Our culture needs to be able to be, have access to the words that we speak and the truths that we proclaim. I mean, it would do no good if I stood up and preached in Swahili to you today. None of you would understand the truths that I am speaking. But because the unchangeable, eternal, true God has spoken and inspired the words of Scripture, as long as we are proclaiming truth, we will always be relevant and contemporary to our world. God's laws are truth, and they are still true today. Truth does not change. Application may change based on technological advances or our current place in the history of humanity, but truth never changes. God's truth is also shown in his promises, which are true and trustworthy. What are you relying upon God to do for you that he has promised to do for you? You can know that he will do those things because those promises are true and trustworthy in Jesus Christ. We open the service with Jesus' call to people from Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Sometimes we fear to come to Jesus with the things that weary us, with the things that wear us down, because we don't quite believe that he will give us the rest he promises. And yet God's promises are true and they will be kept. And the rest and the peace that he promises to his people are theirs in Christ Jesus. So God is true in who he is. He is true in how he reveals himself. And he is also true in how he works in our culture, in our world. Scriptures tell us often that God is at work in the world on Wednesday night, we looked at Psalm 147 for our prayer meeting. And as we looked at that, we saw that God is in control of things like the rain that falls. And what happens when the rain falls on the grass? The grass and the plants grow. And what, does the, what do the grass and the plants provide? Food for the animals of this earth. Sometimes food that you wish they did not eat as they're roaming around through your backyard. But food for the animals of this earth. What do the animals provide for us? They provide food for us. And we see that God is at work in the weather patterns of our world. It goes on later in the psalm to say that God is even at work in the storms, the hurricanes and the blizzards that fall upon our earth. God is even at work in that. When we moved up here from central Florida almost 15 years ago, I was astounded to see that farmers and gardeners wanted the snow. Because even the snow provided nutrients that just plain rain would not provide to the earth. And so God is at work in our world, providing for our world. And even when he brings the storms, saying storms, you can only go so far in your destruction in this world. But God also works through the changing of the seasons. God has promised that springtime and harvest, summer and winter will continue until Jesus returns. God's works in this world are consistent with who he is and with what he has promised to do in this world, which means that his works are true also. This is one reason that you and I can confidently pray God's promises to him. Why do we pray for church growth within our church? 
Because God has promised to build up his people. God has promised to build his church. And he is at work to do that very thing right here in Fairley and around the world. We pray for friends and loved ones who do not believe in Jesus. Who do not have the hope of salvation through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Why? Because he has promised to save. And he has promised to work through the prayer and the proclamation of his people to do that saving work. We pray for healing because God has promised to heal and he works through doctors and through medication and sometimes through extraordinary means to provide that healing. We pray for an end to pain and oppression because God has promised to make his justice roll down like floodwaters down a hill. You and I pray God's promises, expecting him to work out those promises because his work is truth. So we know that God is truth and who he is. He is truth in how he reveals himself and he is truth in how he works in this world. Truth always comes with an obligation. You don't just know truth and stick it away in some type of knowledge data bank and say, well, I'm glad I know that. All truth demands a response. All truth places obligation upon us. And in the broadest sense of terms, the obligation upon the people of the God of truth is that they must also speak truth in love. We see this also in three ways. The first, this speaking truth in love puts us upon us an obligation to know truth, to learn truth both about God's world and about God's word. The pursuits of arts and science and mathematics are worthy pursuits because it is in those places where God reveals truth. God can be described as true and good and beautiful. And it is as we study his world through different disciplinary pursuits. It may be law. It may be engineering. It may be working with your hands. However we study and learn God's world will reveal to us God's truth as well. And we do well to study those things so that we can honor and glorify God for the truth and the goodness and the beauty that he has placed in his world. Jonathan Edwards was the last of the Puritan preachers. Many historians think of him as the last of the Puritan preachers. And Jonathan Edwards' notebooks where he kept notes, uh, not only studying the word of God, but his notebooks are full of drawings that he made of God's world as he walked through the woods, animals and flowers and trees and leaves. Why? Because he knew that God's truth and goodness and beauty was revealed in the world as well as in the word. So we are obligated to learn truth about God's world and about his word. Secondly, we are obligated to speak not only truth, which we'll get to here in just a moment, but to speak truthfully. The ninth commandment says, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. This means so much more, brothers and sisters, than thou, than thou shalt not lie. And while that's wrapped up into that, to not bear false witness means that when we speak about our brothers and sisters, about our neighbors, even about strangers. We always think the best of those people. Even somebody who has wronged you. 
We are called to speak truthfully about them and to not assign to them motives that may not be theirs. They may have done something that has offended you that they don't even realize they did it. And yet, what do we do? Well, if you're anything like me, you sit there and you stew over it and you go, you know what? They were intentionally trying to do me harm. They were intentionally trying to get me riled up. They're a horrible person. And when we do that, we cease to speak truthfully about those people. Ephesians 4, 20 through 25, Paul has explained the glories and the power of the gospel that is at work in the hearts of the Ephesian Christians. And as he does that, he says this, he says, you, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. Part of that dying to our old self is to begin to speak truthfully about those that, yes, we may even disagree with. When you speak about people who may disagree with you on something, I don't know, like maybe politics, how do you talk about them? The third obligation that the truth gives us is the obligation to proclaim God's truth. God reveals true things about himself and about humanity. And at its most basic, the true things that he reveals is that he created this world to be very good. And he placed humanity in this world. And humanity rebelled against God and brought God's judgment upon themselves. John 3 17 and 18 says that God did not come into the world to judge. And the reason he didn't come into the world to judge is because the world is already judged because of their sin. He came to offer salvation. He came to offer redemption. He came to offer a path that did not involve judgment because he took the judgment for those who believe. This is a truth that our world needs to hear. We need to hear it in this room. As we think about our own lives, as we think about our own struggles with sin, we need to be reminded of that truth that Jesus has taken the punishment for your sins. You don't struggle with sin so that God will love you. God loves you in Christ and you struggle with sin because that sin has been defeated at the cross. But when we speak to the world outside this church, we need to be careful Many times you and I fall into the temptation that the world outside of this church needs to be holy before they can hear the good news of salvation. No, they don't. They need to hear the good news of salvation and then we let the Holy Spirit make them holy. As he works in their heart to drive that truth of salvation home to them, as he works in their heart to, to have them question their own life, their own sin, their own status before God, as the Holy Spirit enlivens and converts their hearts to be children of God, he will then work in their lives for the rest of their lives to make them holy. Our obligation is to proclaim the truth. 
And we must speak truth to ourselves and to the world in love. Loving God means that we seek to learn the truths about him and about his world. Loving for neighbor means that we only speak things about our families, our brothers, our sisters in Christ, our friends and neighbors that are true, that are good, and that are beautiful. And love for God and neighbor means that the gospel is always close on our lips as we speak to those strangers and those neighbors and those brothers and sisters in Christ. You and I are called to speak truth in love. Our world asks, what is truth? And we have the answer. Our God is truth. He is true in his being. He is true in his words and his promises. And he is true in what he is doing at work in this world. As you and I meditate on the God's truthfulness, we learn that he is trustworthy and faithful. As we see his truthfulness worked out in our lives through his work and his promises, we learn to lean and to trust in him more and more. God can be trusted because he is true and unchangeable. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He can be trusted because his word is an accurate representation of all that is. And he can be trusted for his work is for his glory and the good of his people. For the child of God, the promises of eternal life and forgiveness of sins are yea and amen in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For the one who is here looking for truth for the first time, you can know that the promises of God to forgive and to give you rest from your weariness are yours as well in Christ. God is true and God is trustworthy. Let us pray. To the great God above, we do thank you for the fact that you are true. You have revealed truth. You reveal yourself to be at work in truth. And we thank you for the truth of the gospel that you have given to each of us. Help us to be people who love to learn truth about you. Help us to be people who love to speak truthfully about those that we know. And help us to be people who proclaim your truth in love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. But as we go both to lunch and to our daily lives, whether it's work or hobbies or whatever that may be, please take this blessing upon you. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, both now and forevermore. And we pray with the saints, come Lord Jesus. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this sermon from Fairly Associate Reform Presbyterian Church. To find out more about our church and its ministries, please find us on Facebook or visit us at www.arpchurchfairly.org. That's www.arpchurchfairly.org. Have a blessed day.